Today's scripture reading is portions of chapters 20 and 32 from the book of Exodus. Hear the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are the gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. This is God's word. And in the Hebrew, it says, Moses said, right. <laughs> so let's pray, and then we'll turn to uh, this today. Father, thank you that you are here with us right now. We ask your blessing on this time. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would fix our eyes and our thoughts and our hearts on you. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see you only this morning. Lord, change us. Make us more and more into your own image today, all for your glory and for the good of your kingdom, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Well, today we begin a new five-week series that we are calling Great Ways to Wreck Your Life. And uh, in this series, uh, what it's all about, to summarize it, is this series is all about idolatry. 
And as I say that, I know some of you immediately are thinking, really? Idolatry? Isn't that something like what Alan just read from centuries ago that they dealt with? That's so passe. It's so ancient. It's so separated from us. And it's real easy for us just to say, you know, not I. I I don't deal with that. Not me. And it can be any number of reasons why you say, not I. Maybe it is because you're thinking, you know, okay, I heard that. I don't bow down to any golden calves. I don't have them in my closet or anywhere else. I'm not engaged in idol worship in this way. Or maybe you think about idols in the way that uh, Paul dealt with them as he did his missionary journeys. And he's traveling from city to city, and he came across uh, different Greek and Roman gods that the people worshipped. And you're thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't worship Zeus or Apollo or Diana, Aphrodite. You know, th- those aren't, that's just not part of who I am. Uh, maybe you think, not I, because, you know, our concept of idolatry and idols is really almost kind of silly. And I know this really dates me, but if you're from my generation, you'll remember, I mean, there's a show that portrayed idolatry in a very silly way, The Brady Bunch, where you'll remember is the big three-week series on The Brady Bunch, and they go in to Hawaii, and they find this little tiki idol as they're in a cave. And, you know, the, the boys are thinking, oh, maybe this is a good luck idol. So Greg takes it, and he's wearing it as he's going surfing. But then they find out, no, 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 it's, it's supposedly a tiki taboo, so it's a cursed idol. And then Greg wipes out, and all the family's, you know, shocked. And the whole thing surrounding the idol is quite silly. And so we can think about idolatry as, you know, that's, that's really just a silly thing. And, and honestly, I think that's part of what the Brady Bunch series was trying to get across, is that, you know, people who, who make something, they make too much. This is, you know... This is lore, this is legend, that kind of thing. It's, it's really just a silly thing. Well, we can too easily jump to not I. You know, in the passage that we heard just a moment ago, Aaron had a big not I moment. I mean, you would think he could have come up with a better excuse than saying, you know, Moses, the, the people, it's almost like a little kid, you know, when you catch your kid and, and, and they're in the middle of doing something they shouldn't and they come up with the worst excuse possible. Well, that's exactly what Aaron's doing. They gave me gold and I threw it in the fire and out jumped this calf. And right, we can too easily excuse ourselves the way that Aaron was trying to do when he was confronted by Moses. And so let's get these kinds of things out of our heads for a moment because idolatry can be so much more than that. You see, God's Word says in Ezekiel 14 verse 3, God's actually talking to the leaders and the elders of Israel when He says, these men have set up idols in their hearts. That's, that's quite a concept. It's not just something physical. You can have things in your very heart. And God was accusing the leaders of Israel, you've, you've constructed numerous idols that you're worshiping in your heart. And what the Bible tells us is that everyone's an idolater. And I know that's quite in your face, and you may not like that, but it's, it's the truth that the Bible presents to us. Everyone is an idolater. That means you are an idolater. That means I'm an idolater. We all excel at this. Uh, John Calvin, uh, one of the famous reformers, 
people will translate his institutes differently. Sometimes you'll hear him quoted as saying, uh, the human heart is an idle factory. And another translation says that the human mind or the human heart is actually a forge of idols. And I kind of like that translation because what Calvin's getting at is we are expert craftsmen at making idols that we worship. And we're constantly about that process of forging them and building them in our hearts. We're constantly creating them. You know, even Nietzsche, who was in no sense a Christian, he even recognized, because he wrote, there are more idols in the world than there are realities. And, and if you still don't believe me, just work with me on this. Not far from here are numerous buildings. Some of these buildings in Uptown Charlotte, some of you will go into tomorrow morning. Hundreds and thousands of people will pour into these buildings and in buildings all across Charlotte. And they're going to sit at cubicles and sit at desks. And many people who walk into these buildings are going to be seeking their ultimate purpose and their ultimate identity in life. Many people who pour into these buildings are going to make sacrifices all week long to the God they worship. They're going to sacrifice the best of their time, the best of their energy, their intellect. They're going to give and worship. And sadly, some will sacrifice even their families to these gods that they seek to appease. Because that's the place where they give their hearts to because they believe this is what's going to give me purpose and identity in life. They're worshiping an idol. There's another building near here where there's big vaults, hold all kinds of precious things in them. Some people place things in safes like that that they treasure most in this life. And how much they have there gives them an ultimate sense of their worth in life. If I have more, I'm worth more as a person. And even though we know that typically money today is you get your paycheck isn't stored in a vault like this, we still like to assume that the money that we're earning is safe and we place a lot of security in it, that it's going to be there. It's fascinating. You can get down a whole concept of talking about securities and trust. We place a lot of our security and worth in these things. There's another building near here where, and this is a fascinating one, the walls are all mirrored. And the priest and the priestesses at this temple typically wear leotards or spandex. And all week long, they worship in these temples. They're after a physique. They're after an image. They're after something that centers them in a certain way. Sometimes the gods of these temples demand so much that people do desperate things in worshiping them. They de develop eating disorders and other things because these idols have such control over them. We go on and on. Not too far from here, there's a mall, which is a temple to many. Sometimes people will worship in the stadiums. Sometimes it's in school. You will find churches 
everywhere, and they don't have to have crosses on them. All of these are places of worship that we enter into. You know, not, it wasn't that long ago we had a show, quite popular, American Idol. Uh, we, are, we are just naturally a worshiping people in different ways. And for all of us, the point is, we all in this room treasure something most in life. We all offer sacrifices to that thing. We all order our lives around it, and we think that if we serve this, now my life will be complete. Now my life will have meaning. Now I'll get the good life however we define the good life. You see, idols have not actually gone away. They just today make us think they don't exist, and so we serve them unwittingly. You see, our ancestors were, in one sense, just more honest than we were, because when they're worshiping Zeus, they're not necessarily worshiping Zeus, they're worshiping power. So many people worship power, but they do so unwittingly. So what's an idol? In this series, a very simple definition, this is not mine, this is Tim Keller's. He talks about and writes about idolatry a lot, but I love his simple definition, which an idol is anything more important to you than God himself, anything. This can be anything that you love more, anything that you care more about, anything you think more about than God is an idol. Anything you expect more from than you expect from God is an idol. So it's anything more important to you in any way than God Himself is. And so what I want to do is take a moment together now to try and together unearth some of the idols in our hearts. So I want you to do this, and I know as I tell you to do this, some of you are going to fight me because you don't want to be told to do anything, okay? As I said, I'm married to a person like that. You tell her to do something, she's not doing it. So I'm pleading with you, work with me, people. Take your bulletins, if you would, or take, the, uh, take an offering envelope in front of you and grab one of the pens in the seat in front of you. And what we're going to do in this short little exercise is try to unearth some of the idols in our hearts. What we're going to be seeking to define, and go ahead and as you write on that, just write the numbers 1 to 10 down in a straight line. What we're going to try to do is see what is God's biggest rival or rivals in my own life. And so I'm going to list them here. You can write them down, and I'll, uh, some don't need any explanation. Some I'll try and give you a little more so you can understand them. But the first one, number one, money. I don't think we need any explanation there. Making it, earning it, keeping it, saving it, you know, whatever. It can be your 401k, can be you're desperate for it, whatever. Anything related to money. Number two, work. And this may simply be, you know, sometimes it's not the work itself, it's productivity. You just see, you have to be a productive person and you worship at the altar of productivity. Uh, number three, success or achievement. I think that's pretty self explanatory. Number four, intellect. Okay, this can be about getting good grades, getting the right kind of grades in school. This can be about being smart, or if nothing else, hopefully being seen by others as smart. You know, you don't have to be the sharpest tool in the shed, but as long as you're sharper than the other tools you're around, then people will see you as smart. Uh, number five, attractiveness or sexuality. And I know you're, a lot of you are thinking, oh, that's not me. 
This can be any number of things. This can be related to clothing, physique, you know, working out, those kind of things. It can be even related to simple things like, okay, I've got to get my hair dyed. I know that's meddling. So, um, <clears throat> number six, uh, relationship, any kind of relationship. It could be that you want a certain relationship. It doesn't have to be a boyfriend or girlfriend. It may just be you want a friend a deep confidant. It could be a relationship you already have, a spouse, a child, a grandchild. So there's a lot of things that can fall under relationship. Number seven, control. Now, this is a big one. As you think about control, maybe you should write down some of these things because it can include things like this. Pleasure. You know, you're, you're wanting to control your environment to make it such that you experience pleasure. Uh, you want ease. You, or it could even be addiction. Any number of things can fall under the auspice of control. Number eight, religiosity. Now this one, uh, I didn't, wasn't sure how to phrase this one because it's kind of a big one. Basically, it's doing good, being seen as good, um, and it doesn't have to be related to church. It could be a political cause. It could be a social cause, save the whales. You know, it could be your religiosity. It could be anything that you wrap your life around that's a good thing that you pour a lot of things into. That's what I mean by religiosity, doing something good for a good purpose. Number nine, personal reputation, uh, which gets into, you know, the in crowd at school, being popular, status within a group. It all boils down to basically wanting to be perceived by others in a certain way. And boy, does social media fall under this one. You know, Facebook, we seek to make ourselves, if we're not popular, we don't show ourselves that we're popular in different ways. Personal reputation. And then number 10, I'm going to let you fill in your own contender. It could be politics. It could be yourself, (laughs) you know, because we can worship ourselves quite easily. It's whatever you think, uh, maybe I didn't hit in one of these. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go through a series of questions with you in this little exercise. And when I read the question, if it's true or partially true for any of the 10 things on your sheet, just put a check mark by it. And you can put a check mark by more than one, okay? So when I ask a question, you can check all 10 if it's true of all 10. And what we're going to do is just walk through, because asking these questions gets at what are the things that we tend to worship in different ways. So, okay, starting with number one, which of these things do you think about a lot? You wake up in the middle of the night, your mind goes there. You have a day off, your mind goes there. You daydream, you go there. What do you think about a lot? Where does your mind most go when it's free? Okay, second question. What do you really want out of life? It helps if you're honest. I know we're in church, and so, you know, you don't have to say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I mean, just be honest. What do you really want out of life? All right, number three. What makes you an acceptable person? What makes you an acceptable person?
Number four, where do you look for power, success, or purpose? Number five, on which of these things do you spend time, money, or energy to get, to keep, or to get more of? On which of these things do you spend time, money, or energy to get, to keep, or to get more of? Which of these things do you fear losing? And it maybe could even be an extreme of which of these, if you lost it, would you consider, oh, maybe life isn't worth living if I didn't have this or if it were stripped from me? All right? Which of these impacts your emotions? Now, here's what I mean by that. When you get more of it, you get happier. And when you get less of it or it's being taken away, you get sad. Okay, so which of these things impacts your ups and downs and how you feel? You get more and, yeah, all right, and you start losing it and it's like you get frantic or nervous. All right, we're almost done. A few more. Which of these things gives you a sense of security in life? All right, of which of these do you want to be known for? And we all want to be known for something. Last one. If you ask somebody who really knew you well, what would they check off and check off those things? <laughs> yeah, you can hand it to your spouse if you want. <laughs> Okay, so as you're looking at that list, the things that are checked that have even a couple of checks, a few, and some may have a lot, those are God's primary competition in your life. Now, in order to check your work, we'll do what we did in elementary school. Write your name at the top and pass it to the person in front of you. No, no, just kidding. (laughs) So, uh, now this is private. But I will show you Dave's. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. He's really messed up. Um, the, the thing is, I could show you mine. I'm really messed up. As I said, the Bible tells us we're all idolaters. And there's a bunch of these that are on my list that vie for my attention and worship and devotion. And what I want to do in the brief remaining time we have, because over the next four weeks after today, we're going to look at the top four idols in our, basically in our culture in America and try and unpack those in different ways. Today, I'm just kind of introducing it to you. But, but as we get into this, you know, you may be thinking, so what's the big deal? I get that, okay, I shouldn't worship idols and I shouldn't do this, but what's the big deal? There's a lot at stake here, friends. And I'll just give you three briefly. You know, the problem with idols, and you can think about this, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, idols, even in the New Testament, the idols that people worshipped, they were bloodthirsty things. They were very hard to appease. The modern idols are just as bloodthirsty, 
and just as hard to appease. Those ten things on your list are out for blood. And all idols will do things in your life and to you that you don't want. We'll, we'll cover this more in the weeks ahead, but here's three. First, your idols will exhaust you because they will make you perform and perform and do and do and do. You have to meet certain demands and obligations, and working to please an idol will exhaust you. Think about this. If you're a parent and your idol is having perfect kids, however you define that, that's going to be an exhausting thing in life to maintain perfect kids. You know, I look at these kids over here. I mean, the low pains gave up years ago. I mean, you know, so, I mean, it's good. They got rid of that idol, you know. But if, if that's your idol, perfection and how people see my kids and my family, that's an exhausting thing to keep up in appearance. To have the perfect career will exhaust you. To have the perfect retirement account will exhaust you, not just in physical labor, but mental energy emotional energy. You see, idols will take more and more from you, and they will continually give you less and less in return. That's why one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Jesus talking to a group of people who had the standard of religiosity as an idol when He said to them, "'Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest.'" They were working hard. They were doing more and more, and they were exhausted. And Jesus says, come to me. I will set you free. The second thing idols will do, they will distort your thinking, your feelings, and even your heart, ultimately. And I'm going to make this brief, because here's what an idol does, is it gives you false definitions of success and failure. It will give you false definitions of happiness and sadness in life. And what your idol will ultimately seek to do is redefine reality completely for you. You see, God has made the world to work in a certain way, and our idols seek to redefine that. So so let's take, for instance, your job. If that's your idol, productivity, your reputation and standing in your company— If that's your idol and you lose it, it can destroy you because that will define happiness and sadness, success and failure to you. Idols will always distort reality. And what they'll do, because, you know, we were made to live in perfect communion with God. That's how the Garden of Eden began. That's what we're promised in the new heavens and new earth when everything's made right. Perfect communion being known intimately and perfectly, walking with the Lord. And in between, in Christ, we can experience that. But, you know, idols will steal that from you. They will rob you of the experience of communion with God today because all your focus is on that or on numerous things. So it will steal what you could have. Your idols will cause you ultimately to despair. Going back to that illustration about a career thing, If your job is just a job, and and I'm not demeaning it by saying just a job. Jobs are a good thing. 
it, but if it has its rightful place in your life, and it's not where you seek your identity and perf, you know, purpose and worship and everything else, losing it is a bad thing. It'll make you sad. It'll cause sorrow because you lost a good thing. But if your job is your idol, it'll destroy you. You see, despair is a sadness from which you don't dis- recover. Lose your job, you'll be sad, but you can turn to other things. The Lord, family, friends, has a proper place. But if it is your ultimate thing, and that's the funny thing about idols, don't think that idols are always bad. Many idols are quite good. The problem is we take a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing where only Christ should be in our heart. The sad truth is that all idols will desert you in the end, sometimes sooner, sometimes later, but they will all eventually leave you empty because you're asking of that what only God can give you. Purpose, meaning, identity, whatever. It can't give you that. Only God can. So you're asking of it something that it can never deliver on. Jesus is the only God who actually delivers on all that he promises to you. One of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of David Foster Wallace. Brilliant guy. He, uh, he's not a Christian, though he was very familiar with Christianity. And he's a, he was such an incredible author. He wrote, a, he wrote an article about the dictionary that you will want to read. I mean, this is, this is how incredible he is at writing David Foster Wallace had idols in his own life, and he eventually took his life. But before taking his life, he was, because of his writing, he was quite popular as a speaker. And he was addressing graduating students of the college who were about to launch into life. And he said to them some very profound words that are true. I want to share part of that with you. I tell you about some of that backstory because you'll hear me say something in what he said that you'll say, okay, well, that's not Christian, and that's not, but there's truth in everything he says in a lot of ways. So what he told these graduating students was, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Now, this part won't show up on the screen. He he went on and said, And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or some set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. And he continues, If you worship money and things... If they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power. You will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. So, you know, there's always somebody smarter than you. 
he got it. What he says is so true. And what we try to do with idols is this. We try and get them out of our hearts. We try and remove them. Here's the problem. Because there's only one ultimate solution to idolatry. You remove an idol, another one will jump in and take its place. So, so if work and productivity is an idol, you can go on a month-long vacation or a six-month vacation. Something else will jump into its spot while you're out of the office. So you can't just remove an idol. What you have to do is replace it with something that you love more than the idol itself. And that's where this ultimately goes, is that the solution isn't getting rid of your idols or loving your idols less. It's simply about loving God more than that. And here's why I say that. Your kids, if you have them, they're a good thing, right? So I am not telling you today, stop loving your kids. I'm also not telling you to love your kids less than you do. That would be wrong too. The trick is to love God even more than you love your kids. Love your kids a lot. Give them a lot. But let them take their rightful place and love God even more than you love your kids. And that's what will root out and replace the idolatry of worshiping your family. Jesus said to very religious people, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the only thing that will solve the problem of idolatry in our lives. So as we end here, and we're going to prepare for the table here, I want to ask you to honestly answer to yourself, what do you love most in life? What do you really love most in life? And, and let this, just as we ready ourselves for the table, kind of let this, even if you would, let it be a holy moment for you where you simply do business with God and you own up to, what do I love most? What do I cherish most? What do I go after harder than anything else in this life? You see, Jesus alone is worthy of all of our devotion, of all of our love. An idol cannot forgive you, but he can. Your idols will never lay down their lives in sacrifice for you, but he has. An idol can never give you real comfort in times of trouble. You may have the wealth of nations, but in a true crisis, all that wealth isn't going to give you real comfort. But he can give you the peace that passes all understanding. And here's the good news is that Jesus, even today, even this very moment, is inviting men and women to still follow Him, to love Him more than anything else in life, and see how He will set you free and give you what you've always been looking for. So this morning, as we come to the table, may we repent of our idols, and may we rejoice in the one who loves us and gave himself for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the one who laid down your life. 
You have forgiven us of our sins. And as we come to this table now, it's a reminder that we are called to turn from the things that we love in life and turn to You alone. Lord, we want to love You more than anything, but our faith is so weak at times. Give us, increase our faith, Lord. Increase our love and our devotion. Let us see You is what we really need so that everything else takes its proper place. Jesus, as we come to the table, we ask that You would take these very common things and set them apart for this holy purpose now. In Your name we pray. Amen.